Don't let me forget the rocks. Romans chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you and have you open as we will focus this morning on verses 4 and 5. Welcome every single one of you to Big Woods Bible Church. It is an amazing day to be gathered in the house of the Lord together. <clears throat> I think it's fitting and appropriate before we go very far, even into the book of Romans, I, I was reading, as I'm sure many of you were, Psalm 139 in the latter part of this week as we heard a momentous ruling where almost my entire life, almost my entire life, I was actually four years old, but I, I just grew up, I grew up with this prayer that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. Like it was just part of our prayer for decades. I was just raised, let this thing be overturned. And it was. And we know that God sustains life. God creates life. And we also, as a church, have a job to do from this moment onward to care for those, those young moms, young couples. Because we have to show them a love that has shown, been shown to us. Before we go any further, I just want to read you a couple words from the psalmist. It says that you formed my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Just a reminder about the preciousness and the sanctity of human life. And we are entering a season, perhaps, of more polarization than ever before. May we always speak truth in love, holding and protecting the sanctity of life. But now we have a massive job to do to minister to those young ones. Who, Lord willing, will give birth to the one that we just read about how God has designed. We have much to give praise for, and we will do that at this time. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are, and we give you all of the glory, even as we've been able to pause this morning already and lift our voices with one accord to you, showing our our adoration, our appreciation for who you are. We give you all the praise for the fact that, Lord, you move and, and through the guiding of your hand, laws are set and made. And we thank you for the wonderful protection of life and the statement that has been made and the reversal of such atrocities for decades. 
Father, I pray that as a church that we would be truth tellers, that we would seek to minister and to care and to love those who are in need. Father, I pray for our country that is so divided. I pray for those that are blinded from the truth, that you would open their eyes, that you would use us to, to speak truth. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are good to your, to your word. You're a God who keeps your promises. And I pray, Lord, now as its pages are open before us, as we hear your word, that our hearts would be, would be drawn to you. The affections that stir within our heart would be increased toward you and that we would leave this place knowing we've heard a word from you and how you are worthy of all praise and all glory. I do pray, Lord, that you just give me clarity of mind and thought and speech and that you would direct accordingly. I pray, Lord, for people that are here this morning that are perhaps aching and hurting, something perhaps even unknown by many, but deep within hearts. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would minister, that they would sense your closeness and your comfort, your unconditional love, unfathomable grace and mercies. May you draw them close to you. May we as your children be faithful with these few moments. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen and amen. We've been involved here in this series, Book of Romans, particularly the last couple weeks in chapter 13. Everyone's favorite two subjects to talk about, right? Religion and politics. Again, we are addressing and reminding you, just, just in case, and this does happen, in case you might forget, government, actually, according to what we see, is a good thing. Those that have been placed in our authority are for our good. Why? Because they have been instituted, they've been ordained by God himself, who we know is good. Even if you go, what? Perfect. Perfection, creation, pre-fall. There were laws on what we should do. Instruction was given from God to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it, work it, keep it. And then there were also laws on what you should not do. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. That's pre-fall. Post-fall, we are actually introduced for the very first time to the consequences of what happens when we defy. What happens with disobedience to authority. And we hear words, we're introduced to words for the very first time. It literally says this, still in the same chapter. Genesis chapter 3. Because you have done this. This is when we hear words for the first time like this. Literally in Genesis chapter 3, we hear words like cursed and bruised. Enmity. Pain. Thorns. Thistles. Sweat. And this phrase... To dust you shall return. The subject of death. I know that's a real pick-me-up on a, hey, good morning, good to see you. It's the Lord's Day. 
Next week, we'll just really ratchet it up a couple notches when we talk about taxes. So what are two things that we always can be certain of? Death and taxes. Now, God's will is to govern mankind through authorities. We know that this is God's plan. God, what, invented government. Man did not. Okay, God sustains government. Man does not. And that is why as we see this chapter, Romans chapter 13, unpacked, the author gets to the subject. Here it is, that God-ordained authorities actually have the right to punish wrongdoers or wrongdoing. Let me direct you directly to the pages of Scripture. Romans chapter 13, just verses 4 and 5 for our text this morning. The word of the Lord. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also... For the sake of conscience. I've always been fascinated with what appears in this particular phrase as a conditional word. If, think about this, if you do wrong. Now, I don't have the authority to add to Scripture, take away from Scripture. I don't have the authority to change or alter it. So I cannot question it, but I can choose where I put the emphasis. If I do wrong, since I have never, ever, 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 regardless of what your thought or belief is, I've never met any, anyone who has never done anything wrong except Jesus. So, so I will pause on the words that I was graciously and I was lovingly raised on by my earthly father, who regularly quoted my heavenly father, and he would say this to me, Tim, be afraid. And my dad would, would add the, and there's, a, there's an argument, is it an adverb or an adjective? Grammar people, grammar geeks out there. My, my dad would add, not just be afraid, but he would add this, be very afraid. Why? Because my father was in authority over me. So we live in this world, and it wasn't like, oh, whoa, there he comes, and I'm... No, 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 it is a, it is a reverential awe. You don't question the authority of your father. The Holy Spirit is speaking here through the Apostle Paul to what the Roman Christians giving them the same wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives to you and I this morning. Why? Because, what? Be afraid. Because, what do we see here? Someone is bearing the sword. Another translation says someone is carrying the sword. This subject here before us speaks about something that we really don't want to lean into oftentimes. We just kind of breeze through this. This subject speaks about the power of the sword. The CSB would say it does not carry the sword for no reason. To say that there is huge 
significance to this verse when it comes to Christian ethics is an understatement. What is, what is, what is this whole subject of Christian ethics? Stephen West from Gospel Coalition defines it like this. Christian ethics is guided by God's revelation in Scripture above other systems of thought as it seeks to love God and neighbor in every, every, emphasis mind, moral and ethical issue. Christian ethics takes what? The word of God and places it as our final authority of how we are to live life every single day regarding every single interaction with one another. It's important to know this. Why? Because since the fall, we live in a fallen world. Thus the reason in Genesis chapter 3... We're given this instruction after what? Adam and Eve disobeyed, disregarded the law. It says what? The Lord sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. This is the thorns and thistles part. This is the sweat part. It says that he drove, the, he drove out the man... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. And do you remember this? Do you remember this from Sunday school? And in the hand of the cherubim was a, a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, what's happening? Just as mankind, as a result of the fall, was what? Guarded from going certain places, forbidden places, it is perfectly appropriate for what? Others to guard us and us to guard others, if necessary, from going into certain places that they should not be. Think Genesis chapter 3 here. Immediately following the fall, a cherubim with a flaming sword. Isn't it interesting as well that when you think about the tabernacle... Um, when you think about the temple, the ark, there, there were cherubim all over it. What? Guarding. This is, this is the Lord's presence. This guards and protects. This is what? This is holy. Be careful here. There's a holiness that we see. Remember the context and the contextualization that must take place when we read this word sword it really speaks of those who wield authority and power in today's language and i don't want to push it too much but you could actually say he who carries the glock 19 he who carries the what six hour people 226 or the smith and wesson i did my homework this week the smith and wesson mnp9 or the cold empire for carbine these, these are what law enforcement carries and i'm sure that others do as well a policeman, a soldier, a border guard, a federal agent, a state trooper. We refer to them as law enforcement. Why? Because they are meant by their very presence to enforce, to restrain evil, to restrain hurt or harm or unnecessary bloodshed. Now this really unfolds two ways. A, authority has been given to others to protect us. And I'm very thankful for that. Call 911 if there's an emergency. Someone shows up and, Lord willing, what? Takes care of us. 
Or else if there is no time to call 911, we have been given authority. We have been given to authority to protect others, to protect our loved ones. And thankfully, we are, we are actually blessed because other countries do not have this. We're blessed to live in a country with the freedom to carry. Some choose to, and some choose not to. And, and I'm totally, totally fine. It's a personal preference. But as parents, as what protectors of our children, our little ones, we are to be protectors of our spouse. You and I have a responsibility to watch over those, to care for those, to guard them the best that we can from evil and hurt and harm. If one chooses not to carry, totally fine. Go to, go to nunchuck school or something. Like, you got to be ready to do something. It's important to protect our home, our school, and our church. On more than one occasion, I have said, and I will not shy away from saying it, I actually feel sorry I feel sorry for the poor person who ever walks into this building desperate enough ever to dare draw a weapon to hurt another person. We see what, we see number one, the sword as restraint. That's in a sense the first part of what we're seeing here. That's what the sword does. You do not go beyond this line. This is God's design. But not only is there what the sword as restraint, but there's actually the sword as justice. When in the case, what innocent blood is shed, we introduce or examine a difficult and for many people perhaps a controversial subject. And that is the subject of capital punishment. That's really what is being addressed here. The subject of what is referred to as the death penalty. Remember a couple weeks ago I was in the end of Romans chapter 12. And, and when I finished the message, I, I, literally, I did not make it to the back of the sanctuary before I had at least two families, and since that time, I've had multiple conversations with people who asked me, wait, wait a minute, according to the end of Romans, how does, that, how does that jive with the death penalty? If one is pro-life as we are, how, do, how does that support the death penalty? Is that a contradiction? Is that wrong? Is it at least inconsistent? Since then, I've been asked, is capital punishment biblically justifiable? Short answer, Yes. How? At the end of chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, where it says, what, you repay no one evil for evil. Let me remind you, this is why all of Scripture is important. You do not read Romans chapter 12, don't repay anyone evil for evil, apart from Romans chapter 13. You can't just pull text out of Scripture, out of context. Therefore, when you read Romans chapter 12, don't repay evil for evil, you must read it alongside of Romans chapter 13. It says there's ordained authorities that bear the sword. It correlates with the rest of Scripture. Genesis chapter 9, this is post-flood. Before we saw post-fall, this is part of the Noahic covenant. What happens here, it says in verses 5 and 6, Genesis chapter 9, 
and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. This is known as, perhaps you've heard this phrase in Latin, this refers to what's called what? Lex Stelionis. It's the law of retribution. It's the principle or law of retaliation that a punishment is inflicted that should correspond in degree and kind to the offense of the wrongdoer. Well, where does this come from? Where do our laws come from? It comes from the scriptures itself. Exodus chapter 21, verse 23. If there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So we know this whole subject, capital punishment, it's in Scripture. Now, I believe it is, and it should be extremely, extremely rare. It always involves difficult agonizing choices. This does not happen quickly or easily. But it is still morally and legally justifiable. And I I understand that there's arguments that have been made against that. What about, we know that Jesus Christ fulfilled civil and ceremonial elements of the law. How how do we reckon, wait a minute, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching, you've heard that it was said eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. How do we justify these texts? Old covenant, new covenant. We still read that in light of all of Scripture, which means what? You are to, in a sense, turn the other cheek. But there still is ordained authority for what? The right reckoning. You always look at Scripture within Scripture. You can't just take something out. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 work alongside our instruction in Romans chapter 13. Another argument has been made, and in a sense, you're like, well, this is a pretty good argument. Theological point that is emphasized, uh, Augustine observed and offered this. If one is condemned to death and, and put to death, then how are we to minister to them? How do we evangelize their soul? How do we pray for them? For repentance or for conversion of course another argument I don't think it's near as justifiable or validated as the previous two how can one be pro-life as well as pro-death where we celebrate what the reversal of Roe v. Wade we're pro-life but wait a minute we would support this and my response is clear and it is across the board there is there is not There's there's not any moral equivalency. You can't even even compare these two. Between abortion and the death penalty or capital punishment, nothing, 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 nothing is equal about an innocent baby's life that is being taken in the womb and a convicted murderer that is being executed. So you can't even bring apples and oranges into the same. It's, it's, what, it's reserved for the worst, the vilest of evil crimes. And I believe it's totally consistent to believe that the life of an innocent baby in a womb, it is our responsibility to protect them. 
while believing the perpetrators of the most heinous crimes should be executed. Now remember, we are what? Ambassadors of another kingdom. As Christians, I believe that we are to have a strong aversion to any human life that's taken under any circumstance. And let me, let me remind you that there is never a situation, there, there's never a reason or excuse for a follower of Jesus that ever finds pleasure or celebrates or claps when a life is ended. We, we never find comfort in the death of any fellow human being. And we've seen testimony of that. Where people are cheering when this is carried out. No, no, any and all individuals are created in the image of God. We're knit together in their mother's womb. Designed with the capability and the purpose to bring gl glory to God. Yet we know that many in God's providence choose to reject. And it's very clear that Old Testament law made provision for this. Genesis 9, Exodus 21, an important portion of Israel's judicial system as well as in the New Testament, Romans chapter 13. And we see this function of the civil authority that God has entrusted to the state. So we can kind of sum up this kind of prickly, hard-to-address subject by knowing that capital punishment is a terrible, terrible thing. Capital punishment is always regrettable, but there are times when it is necessary because it expresses society's corporate intolerance for certain crimes. It's also a way to protect the innocent from those who would perpetuate such crimes. So we know that the sword, in a sense, guards. It's a sword of restraint. It's a sword of justice. Thirdly and finally, it's also a sword of grace. How is that? Since we know the ordaining of authority, we've talked about this, is from God, who is the ultimate and final authority. Ultimately, it's, it's what? Government is for our good and for his glory. Government is to be a good thing. So we remind ourselves, we remind ourselves, we remind ourselves of that. God designed this thing, therefore we are to submit to it, as it says, to avoid God's wrath. Now having been granted the ability and the means of protecting life, which we have been given the, we've been given the opportunity to defend life. We've been given the opportunity to speak up for life, celebrating life. All of that is evidence of God's grace in our lives. The power of the sword allows this. And I'm well aware, as you are, that the sword that is referenced in Romans chapter 13 represents the power and authority that has been granted to governing authorities. We need to give attention to that. But I, I need to remind you of another sword. Another sword that is wielded by the ultimate authority. Tom Schreiner, in his commentary on Romans, says this needfully reminding us that the judgment and the wrath of government upon evildoers anticipates and foreshadows God's judgment and wrath on the day of the Lord. 
let me just let me read that to you again so 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 one in a sense is pointing towards something else the, the judgment and the wrath of government upon evildoers actually anticipates it's a foreshadowing of god's judgment and wrath on the day of the lord you go to the last book in the bible revelation chapter 1 opens with this scene revelation chapter 19 speaks of this scene I tell you what, we, we must not forget. A, a scene I will read to you in just a moment that we must keep etched. We must keep etched on our hearts and in our minds. For it speaks of what? A coming time of ultimate and final justice and ultimate peace. But until that time... This sword that I speak of holds a message of great grace, of great grace. Nowhere do we see the grace of God on display more than through this sword. Revelation chapter 19, I want to give to you just a couple excerpts here. Why? Because we, we need this, this image burned in our hearts after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. So Revelation 19 opens up in verses 1 and 2. Verse 6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Down to verse 11, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And out of his mouth is this sharp sword. In Revelation chapter 1, it actually describes it as a two-edged sword. Let, let, me, let me remind you that that sword is what is held in your hands and laps at this very moment. This sharp two-edged sword is what, Lord willing, 
is being held in your hearts through careful and diligent study and faithful memorization and meditation. This sharp two-edged sword is what this church right here and the church is founded upon. This sharp two-edged sword is what lives and endures forever. When everything else fades away, this does not fade away. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is living and active, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This sharp two-edged sword is what not only one day will judge us, but thankfully this day it actually holds a message of grace and of hope and of love and of truth that we not only need to know it, but we need to tell it. You, you realize the world that we live in is, is in desperate need of the message held within this sword. Could, could I ask you, how are you doing with this? Your time, your personal time, alone in the word, getting to know it that is able to what? And it's hard piercing to the division of soul and spirit. We, 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 I'm sorry, we just can't, we, we can't know one another that well. Not like the way this word can. How, how are you doing as an expert at wielding the sword? How many men spend far more time with their, let me check my notes, Smith & Wesson M&P 9, how many men spend more time with that than with this sword? Moms, are, are, you, are you tucking your kids in at night, quoting scripture to them? Dads, are you gathering everyone together? Is scripture throughout your home? Do we live in accordance and under the authority of the sword? You realize this protects us from the evil that is in this world. I don't, think there's a, I don't think there's a person in this room that would not step in front of a perpetrator, someone who means evil or hurt or harm in your home, and yet you allow garbage to flood in it constantly that damages and tears and destroys the hearts and minds of kids through our music choices and movies and the silliness of the games that is a distraction we have to see that the sword restrains us. It's a sword of justice, but there's a, a message of grace that says regardless, and we all have blown it. If one does wrong, you can all raise your hands with me. Then be afraid. Because there, there's a message here of justice. I'm a broken record to say that that clock back there never stops. You and I have been given 78.7 years. And we're going to stand before the Lord. And he's going to judge us according to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that you are a broken sinner in need of a Savior? And there is only one, and his name is Jesus. That he loved you enough to suffer and die on your behalf. So you can walk do whatever you want with your life? No. So you can walk in the newness of life. 
And every conversation at some level leans and bends towards the message of what matters. That we live in surrender and submission to King Jesus. Can you just fathom with me for a moment this scene where he rides in on a white horse, his robe dipped in blood and a sword out of his mouth, a tattoo down his thigh that says what? King of all kings and Lord of all lords. This, this message, this day, this gospel is not about you. about how we live in full obedience as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I plead with you before it is too late. I plead with you to come to a place of salvation and live every day. Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I am so grateful for your grace and the forgiveness that is offered through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the work that was accomplished on the cross and the tomb. And I, want to, and I want it to count for you. I'm going to live for you. Three things. Be thankful for the sword. Be fearful of the sword. And be faithful with the sword. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this moment and and lord even the subject which is difficult and hard and a subject that people just want to just jump over i just pray lord that as as words are heard that they would not dissipate disappear i I pray lord that we would hold tight onto them that we would maneuver our way to the rest of this day this week with your your word etched on our hearts and our minds Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we fail. We confess that we get easily distracted with the noise and the nonsense of this world. I pray, Lord, that today would be a day that we realign, we recalibrate to center our lives on the cross of Jesus. I love you. I love the message you've given to us. Help us to be faithful proclaimers to live in gratitude to live in fear and faithfulness we ask this in jesus name amen do you stand with us again